Right, brother. There's some people, right, where you, you learn a little bit about them and you want to stop learning about them until you hear it from the horse's mouth. You know, because you're like, this is unbelievable. There's so many different things here. You're dominating in them all. You know, it's just like you, you're putting us all to shame. <laughs> and you, the, But the way I see it is, wow, you're going to have an insane amount of stories to tell. I'm obsessed with stories, always have been since a kid. So, yeah. dude, here you go. Here's a microphone. Talk a bit of shit. Go away. Well, I've just lived my life. You know, I, I've just followed the path that I put myself on. Um, so I lost my legs when I was nine years old. And resulted in me losing both my legs. Um, I was a keen rugby football, as you are as a as a Welsh Valleys boy. You know, mm. it, it was kind of ingrained in my blood. And after that day, then you know, I had to kind of choose a different path. You know, that that path that my granddad wanted me to be. You know, he wanted me to be the the next Welsh rugby star, and and that wasn't the case. Um, and yeah, I had to kind of look at what my options were while whilst I was nine years old, lying in a hospital bed, not realizing what my future kind of held for me. Um, but I, I was really, really, really lucky to have the support that I had around me, see my family, my, my brother, um, and managed to get me through that really dark time, not knowing what what was what was going to happen. Um, I only spent six weeks in hospital. Um, Jeez. The, when, well, I was intensive. I was in, in intensive care for two weeks, um, just making sure that my skin grafts were healing and all the the bits were still working. And yeah, it was then spent four weeks in the children's ward, just learning how to use a wheelchair, um, learning to cope with life without legs and simple things of like transferring from my chair onto the left. And yeah, man. I remember, I remember one day that. I was getting so stroppy with the nurses. They literally locked me in the toilet until I calmed down. Um, I had, it was all out of band. You know, I had a really good relationship with the nurses and, and yeah. they were just like, if you're going to be this stroppy today, then I say, you're on the toilet now. You don't know how to get off. We're not going to help you. So we're, we're leaving you there. Uh, and, and yeah, so that that's how I kind of, you know the the harsh the hard love and that you know the harsh truths kind of set in. You know, yeah, and I have to do this on my own. As much as my mum and dad and brother were there to support me, it's it's only me that's going to be able to actually action what I want to do. Yeah. Um. So yeah, six six weeks uh, and I was back in school. Um. Six weeks I was back playing with my friends, um, teaching them how to kind of befriend someone in a chair, um, without them treating me any differently. Um, teachers were really cautious, making sure that I was wearing my seatbelt in my chair to go around the to go around the play, the play in the, um, on the playground and stuff. But then I was like, well, think about you know, I, I'm an active kid. If, mm. if I have my seatbelt on, if I fall out of my chair, the chair is going to fall on top of me. Mm. So why do I need my chair? If I don't have it on, then it, I can roll away and the chair is going to go the opposite way. And you see the the teachers twig then, and it's like, yeah, actually. Sometimes health and safety is not what it should be, you know, they put in place. But so I was there, you know, just making my own decisions, adapting everything that I did. I was still playing rugby and football. I, I'd play in goals and use my hands as my feet, you know, and I'd sit in the middle of a rugby pitch until kids run up to me and, and I would tackle them to the floor. You know, 
<laughs> they only did it once because then they they literally run around me or jump over me. But I was involved, you know. I I was with my friends and, and I was enjoying doing sport again. Um. So yeah, that kind of just spiraled, you know. That 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 passion for wanting to prove people wrong kind of really kind of ingrained in my mentality, in my ethos. And I had the opportunity whilst I was in hospital to meet a young lad who lost his legs and enjoyed this and. He introduced me to the world of, of ice sledge hockey, uh, which is the para version of ice hockey and, you know, full contact, nitty gritty, really hard, really kind of aggressive sport that I that kind of just hooked me as soon as he talked to me about it. Mm. Um, and then a year later, when, I, when I'd fully healed and fully recovered, um, I got on the ice and I caught the bug, loved it, loved the world of para sport. Loved the inclusive nature of it and loved learning. You know, loved being in an environment where I was amongst so many other people with different disabilities. And it kind of then put perspective on my own disability to go, I'm actually not too bad. I'm only missing bits, but everything that I've got works. Mm-hmm. You know, I was I was in an environment where there were adults with spina bifida or spinal injuries, you know, meningitis survivors. And it was actually, yeah, actually I'm Everything that I've got still works, so I, I'm going to run with this and do it. Um, after that first hockey session, I was only ten years old. The it was a senior team. The next, the next kid above me was the guy who came to see me in hospital, Aaron Reese. He was sixteen, and the coach kind of pulled my mum aside and looked at you know, was like, really wanted to play, but I can't let him. He's he's just too young. I'm scared that he's going to get injured. Mm. Mum being a Welsh strong mum, here we sport, go. Literally, almost like grabbed him by the scruff because uh, the first time that she seen me smile and be active in in so long was like you are not stopping my son from playing this sport, and he was like, all right, okay, okay, and so he didn't have no equipment, so I didn't have no helmet. I had big shoulder pads. I've got an image of myself sitting in this. Like the old school chairs, you know, the big bucketed seats. That's what the old style hockey sledges are made of. And I was like sat in it as really skinny little kids and then having to push around in this sledge. Um, you know, for those who don't know what sledge hockey is, you literally just sit down on the ice on a bucket seat metal frame. You use two sticks to propel it along the ice. And you've got uh, the blades on the top of the sticks and metal picks at the bottom. So it wasn't like I was being wrapped up in cotton wool you know these people were using weapons to move themselves along the ice you know and so you can understand why, why my coach at the time was quite apprehensive about having a 10 year old on the ice with a bunch of seniors um, but yeah it, it was it, it was that kind of hook that I needed that something that I wanted to grasp my teeth into and run with. And that kind of started my life off in that Paris world and the spiral from there. I wanted to try absolutely everything and anything. Um, you know, I, I've dressed up in a pair of George Puzz and did dressage for a little bit on, on the back of a horse. Um, did archery, shooting, rock climbing, whitewater rafting. Um, anything that I could adapt and kind of make my own, I, I would. Um mm. And then even when it came to, to PE, when, so when I moved to the comprehensive, it got a little bit tougher. Um, I had to kind of, because 
where my where my home base and where my catchment area was. All my friends went to two or three different schools. None of them were accessible. Mm. So I had to kind of move away from my friend group that kind of taught me to be me again and helped me to be me again. And then start a new life and a new venture in, in this big new school where I had didn't know anybody there and for the first three weeks i literally sat in a corner just just watching people walk by not really not really knowing how to engage with them Mm. Um, and they didn't know how to engage with me either until it it got uh, one of our pe lessons and and it was swimming and they were asking can you swim i was like yeah yeah, i can swim i've been brought up on the seaside i'm uh, you know Puth, puth called born and bred and, and just get, get me in the water and I'll be fine. Um, and I think it, it kind of opened the eyes then to, to the other year groups. Actually, yeah, he, he's he's just normal. He's just in a chair. No, because mm-hmm. I was doing lengths past a lot of the other students in, in my class and um, that kind of broke the, down the barrier, kind of broke the ice a little bit just to go... Oh yeah, okay. So oh, you're really good at this. And I was like, oh yeah, yeah. Hi, I'm Nathan. I, I, you know, I lost my legs years ago, and and then that was it. It kind of just spiraled from there, and school became a, a real ground for me to develop again and learn and grow new skills once again. You know, and so that, that was kind of my early years, and I say early years. Then thirteen, fourteen, I, I found athletics. You know, I was just doing a. A, a small kind of wheelchair sports spectacular event that they used to hold that we still hold in Wales and um, just an environment where you can try as many para sports as possible mm. and my coach found me just doing, doing table tennis and dragged me inside and got me throwing some rubber toys you know, rubber dog toys that's all they were and he said right you know you, you, you got pretty pretty good at that um, you're going to come across to me and and I'm going to teach you how to throw them properly. And that was it. That that kind of sparked my athletics career while still playing ice hockey. So for so long, I was doing three or four different sports to really kind of get that multi-skill ingrained into my body. And it kind of helped me then throughout, throughout the rest of my life, I guess, because I haven't really focused on one thing for too long. I've always kind of jumped into something else or jumped into something else or picked something up alongside it. And it's what I do now as a coach with, with, with my youngsters. You know, I don't want them to specialise too soon. I don't want them to have their eyes set on on one thing because I've been there where if something goes wrong, then your identity goes. Yep. So I don't want them to have that one thing that they really rely on and call themselves, that's me. Mm-hmm. That, to be fair, and that, and that took me a long time to really learn. Um, and I'll come on to that in a bit when I retired from sport. But... Um, yeah, so I was doing everything. Um, and at my first senior championships in athletics, I, I came back with two goals and a silver at the age of 14. And that's when I kind of realised, oh, I'm, I'm pretty good at chucking things. I, I, need to, I need to stick at this, to be fair. Pretty good, um, he says. Two goals yeah. and a silver is pretty good. It means the <laughs> average that... pop is bollocks. <laughs> so, yeah, that, that was it. That, that kind of started me off on my athletics career. And it kind of went bigger and bigger and bigger. You know, I was, my first Paralympic Games was with, was with ice hockey. Um, went out to Turin in 2006. We didn't finish last, which was the main thing. Um, and when I returned from Turin, um, British Athletics were just like, right, 
we, we need you to focus on athletics now um, because Beijing is two years away and you're pretty close to making the side. And that was that was a really tough decision to kind of step away from the sport to give me my life back. And mm. it was a fun farewell. It was, it was I did my first Paralympic Games at the Winter Paralympic Games and but it wasn't going to get me to the pinnacle of, of where I wanted to get to, you know. Ice hockey wasn't a funded sport, still isn't a funded sport. Um, and I wanted to make a name for myself. And so I kind of came to the dark side and, and went to athletics and pursued that for as, as long as I, as long as my shoulders held up. Um, went to Beijing, phenomenal experience. I was the youngest, um, youngest male thrower in my classification. Um, I did all three shot put javelin and discus. Uh, shot on disc for my weaker events, um, but I made the final in both, so that that was a, a big achievement. And then javelin was my on the last day of the competition. Um, they switched it all about to start off with. So my parents came out to Beijing to watch, um, but they missed my javelin because because they shift the timetable. My mum and dad had already booked a holiday to go down to Sanya, um, so they weren't there in the stadium, unfortunately. And, and because of that, because I know they weren't there to kind of support, I had a meltdown the night before. Um, literally rung my coach up at 12 o'clock at night and said, I'm not going to be here. I'm freaking out. What am I doing? I, I, I'm kind of, I, I'm done. I'm, I'm not on the right headspace. And his words were, look, just shut the fuck up and go to sleep. You know, it's just like, you, you've done all the work. You've put the work and you've put the effort in. You've already done this two times. You've done your shot. You've done your disc. This is your event. This is what, you know, this is this is your best event. Just chill out, calm down. And when you wake up in the morning, you'll feel a lot better. Um, so, yeah, I went to sleep that night. Woke up the next morning. Still felt pretty damn nervous. But, um, but the nerves that I was used to, you know, the nerves that I knew that I was ready to go to war almost. Yep. Um, and yeah, so pushed into that stadium with eighty thousand people, just kind of screaming at the person next to you was overwhelming. Yeah, the birds in that stadium it kind of overlaps you, it kind of brings you in, and it is like a big massive cauldron. Uh, one of the best stadiums I've been in. Um, and yeah, so to just kind of did what I had to do. Um, finished fourth by thirty centimeters. Um, in the first instance, heartbroken. Then the realize, realization set in and was like, this is your first summer games. The youngest in the field, the guy only tipped you by 30 centimeters and he's twice your age. And he even said the same thing, say, Russell Holman from Czech Republic. Um, he came up to me afterwards, shook my hand and was like, that was really close, well done. Um, he asked me how old I was. When I said I was I'm, I'm now 20, you could see his face just go, okay. He said, he said, you'll get me next time. And I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to let me try. I'm going to be chasing, <laughs> chasing you around everywhere. And that's what we did when we came back from Beijing. Me and my coach sat down and it was like, we were going to try and follow him to every competition that he was at, um, just to try and minimize that gap every single time. But unfortunately, um, Early 2009, 
Uh, I had a really bad shoulder accident, um, fell out of my chair and kind of hyperextended, tall bicep, tall tricep, um, tall labrum, <clears throat> and didn't get diagnosed until nine months after it got done because I was hypermobile for the shoulders and was really strong anyway, kind of kept it all in place. So when I was doing all the standard uh, range of motion tests, they were coming up as normal for mm-hmm. normal in a non-elite athlete so they were just going oh, yeah it's just a strain it's just a strain it'll recover it'll recover so I did all season just treating it as a strain and by the end of 2009 it was like still not right you know it's still painful so they actually then it was only then that they put me through to go get an MRI scan and the surgeon turned around to me and was like your ligaments are like bananas so they're frayed they fill in your shoulder space should never have been competing this year with your shoulder like it was. It's like, well, I, I did try to tell them that if something wasn't right. Um, so, yeah, so early 2010, so I went in, um, I had to go in for shoulder surgery. That was probably one of the hardest periods, I'd say, is going through that two, 2010 phase. I was based in London, based away from my kind of home comforts and surroundings, intensive rehab, and literally just hitting the grindstone every day. If I couldn't use my shoulder, I was doing ab work. I was on a spin bike with my prosthetics and, and just trying to do all the little work that I knew I could do. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I had a fantastic physio, and she literally just, on the thing, it was 12 hours after my surgery, she got me 70% of my range back. Um. Because she was brutal. She was getting into the scar tissue straight away. So we can't let the scar tissue calcify. We need to get in there and break it down ASAP. And otherwise, you'll never get your range of motion back. Surgeon didn't agree with her. Yeah. And was like having a go at her every time I had a physio session. But it worked. You know, I, I was back throwing within six months, seven months of, of having, what was it? Um, yeah, so label repair, um, tendon repair decompression of the shoulder so they were in there and they were you know they, they had to scrape around a lot but what my main focus was that it was in early 2011 it would have been the world championships out in new zealand um, and that was my main goal but knowing that how long that season was the season ended in august you know i didn't get back to throw until september so i only had one competition to qualify for that world champs and luckily we, we did everything that we that we had, you know. It, it shows how powerful that mind your mind can be when you're in that kind of situation. You know, I spent hours and hours and hours a day just sat in front of the mirror, just mentally processing my throw, mentally just kind of watching videos of me throwing so that when I went to throw, you know, I, I still had that kind of muscle memory ingrained into my neurological system that was just like, no, like, don't have to learn this. This is still there. You still know how to throw it. So I just mm-hmm. go back and do what you, what you know how to do. And I came back in that first competition. I, I threw a personal best and, and qualified for for the competition, for qualified for the world champs. I was like, okay, that's great. <laughs> that seven months hasn't been wasted. And yeah, this stuff I works. Was, yeah. So as soon as that competition was over, we were back into rehab, just making sure that it wasn't just a one-off. You know, we didn't want to take any risks. Um, and even when we were out in New Zealand, uh, you know, 
I only did three or four throwing sessions and one of them was in the rain up in Auckland and I had a crap throwing session for my throwing frame. Um, so I literally just stayed in my day chair and was just throwing, throwing, throwing. This this one session probably lasted about five hours and the head coach at the time was just like, is, is he okay? My coach was like, yeah, just let him do it. It's just something that he needs to do for himself. He's not going all out. He's just trying to find that that technique, that 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 one throw that he's done that he'll be happy with. And say top was off, pouring down with rain. I was I was I was in the best place I was ever had been. I was frustrated. I loved being in that environment. I loved just being there and just throwing. Um and uh, and yeah, so I went into the competition and met Mr. Polman again. He was there. He was uh, all bandaged up in his wrist. He seen I was strapped up in my shoulder. He kind of gave me the eye and was like, "You all right?" I was like, "Yeah, no, I'm fine. You okay? Your wrist looks a little bit sore." He's like, "Ah, oh, old age, old age." I'm like, oh, okay. Um, but yeah, we went into that competition and and came on with the gold. So it was one of them redemption stories that actually, yeah, so no matter how many kind of peaks you hit or troughs you go there's always you know there's always a ladder to climb out to them dark times and um, mm. yeah that, that was that was my most successful year then in 2011 because um, then I went on to, to break the world record out in Czech Republic in the November and was like oh, yeah yeah this is, this is great it's awesome and um, knowing then going into London 2012 I'd be world champion and world record holder and on, on a massive high and just kind of jump back into training too soon and pop my shoulder went again mm. and I had to go back in for my second shoulder surgery in January 2012 which was uh yeah it was a hard pill to swallow knowing that now we had a short period of time to kind of qualify for London 2012 and um, but we, we did it we got there didn't go the way that I would have liked it to have gone unfortunately um I finished 10th but it was, uh, yeah, it was, that was coming away from London 2012. I was really questioning whether or not I still loved doing the sport. Um, and it uh, kept it going until 2014. But the, the rules were changing. The, the sport that I originally got into in that throw-in wasn't the sport that it, it once was. Um, and they were changing loads of rules within my classification. Um bringing in loads of changes and the officials just weren't getting the changes right. And that's what penalised me in London 2012 is that they disqualified four of my throws for a rule that didn't apply to me. Um, it applied mm. for someone with two legs. And so it was it was a tough, 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 tough competition. They apologised afterwards, which is nice, but it didn't, it didn't make a difference that, you know, sat in the middle of the, your home crowd in tears, with your family in tears around you just trying to fight for you and um hey that sport is sometimes it goes your way sometimes it doesn't and, and yeah so after 2012 uh kind of pushed on 2014 um say it was the, the european champs done in swansea so i thought I'll, I'll i'll do swansea i'll and then see what happens after that um but yeah then after 2014 i, I decided to retire from from throwing and, and try and find a job um never worked before been living a life of a, an elite athlete since the age of 15, never written a CV, 
and shit got real kind of thing you know so just like getting taken out of that bubble and um and then yeah not realizing that you're not an athlete anymore mm-hmm. and this is why this is what i kind of mentioned earlier is that i identified myself that my whole identity was was an athlete now i didn't know how to live in the real world i didn't know tact I didn't know any of that stuff where it comes to getting a job but so yeah that was a real real learning curve um when i came out of sport and didn't really hit me until <clears throat> probably 2015 um where then the disability kind of things came back around you know when i was trying to do whereas within para sport having that disability is it's normal you know, you're in that environment all the time with someone else with a different impairment. And, and yeah, it hit me really hard. I, I can't really put my finger on it, but it, it was like um, yeah, post-traumatic stress. So, you know, it was something that kind of was there somewhere, but didn't really manifest until I was out of this protective bubble. Um, and it, it was that then that, because I'd stopped sport completely, you know, I, I I was still coaching it, but I wasn't doing it for my own for myself. And it was at that time I was like, something isn't right. Why am I feeling like this now? Is it because have I left sport too soon? Is there still some part of me that wants to do it? Um so I thought, right, let, let's let's give it one more crack. Let's let's try something else. Let's transfer into a different sport. Um and I was funny enough, I was doing a little bit of work with weightlifting Wales at the time and Commonwealth Games was coming up out in Gold Coast. I'm like, well, just jump on a bench. You know, you're a strong lad. You've, you've been in the gym literally all your life. Just give it a go. So, yeah, okay, why not? Let's, let's give it a go. Um, so, yeah, qualified for, for Gold Coast in the Commonwealth Games in a different sport again. Um, PB lifted in my competition, finished dead last, but it was probably one of the best experiences I ever had. You know, I was because I was doing it for me. Mm. You know, I realized that as I was getting later and later on in my career, I wasn't doing it for me anymore. I was doing it for the people above me because they pay you to do a job, you know, and I was a slave to what they were demanding. You know, it wasn't for me anymore. Um, and yeah, so it really hit home that actually, if you, if you want to do a sport again, you need to take that pressure off yourself. You know, you need to find that love for it and do it because you want to do it, not because you feel like you have to. Um, and then, yeah, so I came back from, from Gold Coast as, as I think I'm the first Welsh athlete to compete in winter, summer, Commonwealth Games in three different sports which is a, an accolade that I like to have. And that's why I've got them all up behind me. So I've got my winter my jersey there, got my Commonwealth Games, and I've got my London 2012 jersey as well. So, uh, um, and now I've fallen back in love with sledge hockey again. You know, I'm, I'm doing it again and, and part of the GB team. And we've got aspirations to make it to the next Paralympic Games in Milan because it's, I'm still, few members of the team were part of that 2016 we're still going and we just think it'd be really cool 20 years on mm. to, to get back to Italy to, to play hockey again mm-hmm. um we haven't been since 2006 so we have the team actually hasn't been to another Paralympic Games so we've just gone you know what this one last hurrah let's give it our all let's 
be the team that we were back in 2006. And it's not going to be easy. There's new teams popping up everywhere. But let's just give it a go and see what happens. And uh, so that's what we're doing now. Yeah. So that's my sporting career. There's a whole other things beside it. So. Dude, that's, that's unbelievable, man. You know, like coming, uh, getting over the adversity of, of then attacking one spot, never mind three, and then going back to the original spot. You it's, know? it's a sport that I love. It's a sport that I'll always go back to and I've, and I've always missed because I got told you can't do it like a dog with a bone in you. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Still wanted to. <laughs> Especially as a young lad, right? Back home, yeah. like if you get told you can't do anything, it could be bloody painting. Like yeah. that, that lad is going to go full noise and he's going to end up trying to make himself Picasso. Like yeah. it's, it's not going to work out, mate. You just, you have now set off this absolute rampant savage. That's just not going to stop. And it's like, well, unfortunately, sometimes you need that little bit of rough treatment, right? Because yeah. it ends up propelling people forward. And uh, it seems like it's happened to you, man. And that's honestly, dude, like I'm so fired up. I could punch through a wall. You know, headbutt a baby right now. Obviously, I'm not going to. Well, maybe. I don't know. Depends what it says to me. Yeah, yeah exactly. You know, depends if it's a prick or not. If it's from Manchester, I'm definitely headbutting it. <laughs> you know, we come out, they play Wonderwall, and you get a headbutt. That's all we get. But, uh, dude, yeah, like, bro. honestly, overcoming, it sounds really cliche, right? And I don't mean it like that. But to me, overcoming the mental barriers is the biggest thing yeah. because it takes away all the, the physical limitation, right? It takes away everything like the cultural differences, the fucking box, the genders, whatever just takes all that away because we are yeah. all human beings. Right. But I know there will be a fucking mental barrier here, a mental barrier there at the start of the road, at the end of the road and all the way in between and overcoming that man is unbelievable. That's yeah. where the inspiration comes from. It all comes down to choices, and and on that on that day when I was nine years old, I had two choices: jump or not to jump. Yeah. If you jump, then you're gonna have to live with that choice. You're gonna live with that choice. Make sure you make the most out of that choice. And you know, you, you always you've got two doors always to open: a yes or a no. And it, it's having that mentality and that mental strength to realize if you fucked up, then there's only one, you know, you can't go back back through that, that door, it's done. So yeah. just keep on moving forward with it and make sure you don't make that make that mistake again. Yeah. Man. And it's having that that resilience and that, you know, that mental awareness then of yourself to, to be able to push through that. And mm. yeah, sometimes it is shit. Sometimes it's hard. Most days are hard these days. But you've only got one life and unfortunately, you know, you you gotta live it, and and if you are struggling, talk to people because you know they all say in that problem halved is a problem. You know, a problem shared is a problem halved, and you know it's 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 gospel now. You know, you know, yeah. ever since I've been with my wife, you know, I've opened up a lot more. You know, I was this big hard thrower who didn't really talk about emotions, um, but actually, it's it's okay. It's all yeah. right to talk. It's all right to share. It's all right to cry. God, like very cried to Billy Bambi most of the weekends whenever it's on any Disney film I open up and I'd love to. So you and me both, 